Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We're continuing this series on the book of Mark, and today I've titled it this, Knowing and Walking in God's Will. This is a big question for all of us in our lives and in our journey because um, many of us are always searching for God's will. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. And so I just want to get straight into the text and allow the text to speak to us. And I want to set up this first text. Last week as we looked, Jesus was ministering. He was challenging some of the, some of the leaders and he began talking to them about the unpardonable sin. If you missed that message from last week, let me encourage you. Please go and listen to it. It it will set you free. It will help you understand um, what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit really is. And it will help dismantle any lies that the enemy has told you about you. And so please go back and listen to that. But Jesus was ministering and he was ministering to people. And so as this people were crowded in on him, we saw this, this, it was kind of like a little blip about what his family thought about him. So here's Jesus in a room, people crowded around him. And we see a little bit about his family. Let's, let's look at uh, Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered. They wanted to be close to him because it's Jesus. So that he and his disciples, they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard about this, so his family heard what was happening, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. He is crazy. What they were meaning, he's a few french fries short of a happy meal. That's what they were meaning. So, so they show up. So here we have this, Mark 3.20. You jump down on a journey from where they are. We come to the next passage we have here, Mark 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside the house, they sent someone into him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who, and this is, this is what Jesus asked, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. So he was here, you, he was pointed at them, mothers and brothers. Because whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So before we get into looking at God's will, because here's the question, anytime you hear this, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother, you think, okay, but God, what is your will? And we're going to spend some time looking at that today. But before we get into that, I just want to look, take a moment and look at these family relationships. What was Jesus saying as he was said, listen, my brothers and, and sisters and, and mothers, they're the ones that do the will of God. It's very important for us to hear what Jesus is saying, because he identified his family He said, no, these people are my family. And so what we do know about Jesus, actually, um, Jesus had had other brothers that that Mary gave birth to. Interesting little story. And um, I was in London several years ago. I was in um, Bible college, and and we were there on a ministry trip. And so I thought I'd go over to this place called Speaker's Corner. Speaker's Corner is in London. Every Sunday afternoon, you can go, and and people stand up on boxes and ladders, and and they preach just wacky stuff. I'm just being honest with you. There's a Muslim up there. One guy was (laughs) was standing on a box. He didn't say a word. He just held a sign and said, Christian atheist. And I was like, I'm so confused right now. Strange people. And then while you're preaching, you can bring your own ladder. You can, you, can, 
you can schlep in your own ladder, set it up, stand on top, and preach. But what happens is you get hecklers, and they come around you, and they start heckling at you. And, and so while I was preaching, some Muslims were coming. They were heckling me and trying to ask me questions and get me off course and try to make me mad or, or whatever. So after I did that for a while and I thought, I, I'm done. This really isn't happening. This, the scripture to mine was, was uh, actually it was like pearls to swine. Sometimes you just, it's just not the right setting. And so I was walking around. I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll do a little heckling. So I went up to the sky. I said I was younger, okay? You got to give me. So I went to this guy, and, and, uh, and he was he was very strong um, Catholic guy, which I, I have a lot of friends who are Catholic, but he was making a point that, that Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters. And his point was that Mary and Joseph never had any other children after Jesus was born. And so I was like, that's not what the Scripture says. Actually, the Scripture says that Joseph did not know Mary, meaning he had sexual relationship with her, until after Jesus was born. And then we have Scriptures, and we find in Matthew 13 that Jesus had at least four brothers. And so I was talking with him as actually scripture says this and says this. And, and he was telling me stuff that like made no sense whatsoever. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I'm out of here. So I left. But the reality is this. It's so important we need to understand some of these truths because we can get confused along the way. Jesus had other half-brothers and sisters. Half-brother because God the Father was his father for Mary and these other brothers and sisters. Joseph was their father. So... He had at least four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, which was not the one who betrayed him, but his name was Judas. You can look at Matthew 13. He also had sisters. So he was growing up, and this is a very family-centric Middle Eastern society where you are, I mean, blood's thicker than water. You, you hang out with your family. You defend your family. And here's Jesus. He gets this little word, hey, your family's outside. And he gives this shocking response. And he says this, uh-uh, my family are those who do the Father's will. This was shocking to them. He was making a statement. So, but I just want to look at briefly, what was Jesus saying about his family? What was he saying about the family that he came into the world to create that we talked about during communion? One, he was saying this, you don't need a family blood connection to be in God's family. In other words, you don't need an uncle who's already in. You don't need somebody who's related. It's not, it's not about who you know. It's actually about does God know you? And here you have Jesus just letting people know, no, no, hang on. You don't need an insider. You just need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you become either a son or a daughter of God immediately. That's what that means. You become a part of the family. But here's another point you need to understand. There are no grandchildren in the family of God. Because either everybody are sons and daughters or they're not a part of the family. So you can't come into God's family because your, your, your great-grandfather was a pastor or your grandfather was a pastor. Or even if your dad or your, your mom was a pastor, this has everything to do with you and God, no one else. So you can't be grafted in because you're related. It just doesn't work that way. There are only sons and daughters and people who have a relationship with God and God's family. It's very important for us to hear what Jesus is saying. When Jesus defined his family, he said, whoever, say whoever. So whoever does the will of God, they're my family. And it's very, very important. 
Another thing he was saying is this, as he was surrounded by an eclectic group of people, there's no racial or cultural background that's needed whatsoever to be in God's family. All are welcome. And when you step into God's family, all have the same value. All have the same significance. All are a part of the family and our sons and daughters. Those sitting around Jesus, think about this. They were, they were, they were, Jesus was accused of hanging out with, with sinners, and he was. Actually, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with those who were sinful. And here is Jesus with these people, and we can assume that they were, they were just as though it was just the people that he was accused of hanging out with. And he looks at them and he says, you are my family. And so what we can see is this, that when you come into God's family, you need to know something. God's family isn't perfect. If you didn't know that, it's not per- perfect. It's not perfect. Now, that's why we, we play by God's rule in God's family. We seek unity. We, we, uh, we seek love. We pursue biblical reconciliation. We actually try to love each other in a way that the Bible says that the world will know that Jesus was what he said he was by our love for one another. That we are part of this family, and this is something you need to understand, and sometimes we forget the family of God is the greatest family on the face of the planet. It's the greatest family. But God's family is just like biological family. As one man described families this way, he said this, families are like fudge, mostly sweet, but with a few nuts. <laughs> just like our biological families aren't perfect, neither is the church. And so there's the old saying that says you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, when you choose Jesus, guess what? You're not the one choosing the family. He is. You're coming into his family. And here's the reality. His family, mostly sweet. But there still are a few, a few nuts, okay? That's just the reality. There are still a few nuts. And we need to be okay with that. So before we get any further, turn and tell someone that, that you are glad they're in your family. Go ahead and tell them. Don't call anybody nuts. Just tell them you're glad that they are in your family. So as we continue in this, we read this passage. And when I read that Jesus said, my family are those who do the will of the Father. Listen, if I was sitting there around him, I'd be like, hey, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me. Real quick, real quick. quick. What is your will? What's your will for my life? What's your will for me? What, What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it? And all of us actually want to know this. It's a deep desire in all of our lives. All of us want to know God's will. And God's will is very, very important. It's actually, it was, it's been mentioned 64 times in the New Testament. And people talk about finding God's will for their life all the time. They talk about, God, what is your will? And usually it has to do with what job God wants for them or what college they should attend or who they should marry, if they should get married. But the most important for us to understand, and I want to go a little deeper into this today, is this, that God wants you to know why he created you first. Before, it's about what you do, who you marry, where you go, what job you have. Why did he knit you together in your mother's womb? Because the Bible said he did, and he did it with a purpose and a plan for you. And this is what we know. Knowing Jesus is the first part of understanding God's will. Knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's why our first purpose here as a church is to know God. Nothing else matters in your life unless you take that first step and know God. 
But then after that, knowing God's will for your life is the second most important thing you can do. Another way to ask this question, and you could phrase it this way, that all of us have in our hearts today, and I want you to just understand this with me, that all of us have it, is this question, God, why am I here? Why did you put me on this earth? Why did you create me? What do you want me to do with my life? It's really, it's the heart in every one of us. And maybe sometimes we're a little scared to ask the question. But here's the reality, my friends. God knows you. He created you. He has a purpose for you. And we need to discover what that is. So knowing and walking in God's will. I'm going to give some truths about God's will. Number one, this is what we need to understand first, foundationally, is that God's will for you is good. Everybody say good. It's good. It's not bad. It's not evil. It is good. I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture. Then I will explain the context of it because it's very important. And this is God speaking to Israel. God speaking to his people. And this is what he says to them. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. So this, this is what God's saying. I know the thoughts I have towards you. So this verse for me personally has been very encouraging. I know it's been encouraging for a lot of you in your journey with God. But it's important to understand the context of what's actually going on. God is saying this right here, this statement to a nation, a, a group of people that were his people. He had put his fingerprint on them. They were his people. And when he said this, they were in the middle of being judged by God. They were under judgment from God because God had warned them over and over and over again to turn from worshiping other idols, to turn from sexual morality, to turn back to righteousness, to come back to him. And he, and he said, if you do not do this, there will be judgment. And they were in the middle of judgment. They didn't listen to God. And as God is speaking this promise through his prophet Jeremiah, all of a sudden, actually, while he's speaking this promise, the Babylonians are invading them. They're hauling them away. Their hands are bound. They're, they're being hauled away like animals into slavery. And they were held for 70 years is what we know. So in the midst of judgment, them being taken away, God speaks up and says this. Now they ought to be thinking, yeah, right. Thanks a lot, God. I don't believe you. Because things are, things are going to hell in a handbasket for us. And God says this in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their failures, in the middle of their judgment. He says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Peace, not evil. Future and a hope. So here we have this kind of strange thing that's going on. But this is what we know. God's will and his plans for you are good. God loves you and he wants you to be in his good and pleasing will for your life. And I'll talk more about what's really going on here. But before I get there, what's very important for you is the way that you view God. Just like how did they view God at this point? God is essential. It is essential that you understand who, what God is like for you to hear God's will for your life. If you believe God is faithful, he's good, and he's loving, and he cares for you, and he is, he's out to make sure that you fulfill your purpose for your life, then it will be easy for you to come into alignment with God's will because your, your understanding of his characteristic is true. 
But if you have a distorted view of God that you think he's waiting for you, waiting to judge you, or if you pray this, then he'll judge you. Or if you don't pray that, then he'll jump on you. If you don't say, Lord, help the plane not crash before you get on the plane, then maybe it will crash. But if you say, don't let it crash, then it won't crash. And you're like living in this whole thing of just performance all the time. What I said didn't say. If you have a distorted view of God and don't think he's actually good and don't think he's actually faithful, you'll have a hard time syncing up with his will. You'll be battling against your mindset and his. Most of us, and I'll be honest with you, don't even realize God sees us and knows us, let alone has an incredible plan for us. And God wants you to know that he sees you, he knows you, and he has a plan for you. But this is what happens. The enemy of our souls is constantly trying to distort our view of God. He does it when we, when we fail. He comes in and says, see, God doesn't care. He comes in when we sin. See, you've gone too far. You can't go back. Now God's will is over for you. You'll never be restored back to God. Or when we suffer pain, when we go through sickness, he comes in and see, God doesn't care about you. If God really cared, then he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't allow this to happen in your life. He does it through disappointment. This is the area as he comes in and he begins to articulate our view of God. Anytime we go through pain, we fail, we sin, the enemy is there to distort your view of yourself, your view of others, and your view of God. And when these things happen, he comes to tell us, yeah, God's done with you. He's disappointed. He doesn't care. It's over. So here the Israelites were in that same boat. They're being hauled off in the slavery. And what do you think their thoughts are? They're thinking it's over. They're thinking God doesn't care. Well, apparently God has forgotten us. And, the, and their own, the own enemies were saying, your God doesn't care for you. Your God has abandoned you. See, you're being hauled off in the slavery. See, God's will for your life is gone. Nice work, Israelites. You blew it. It's over. Just embrace the reality that the rest of your life is going to be hell. Welcome. That's what they were listening to. They had their own thoughts towards God. It looks over. And, then, and in the middle of them thinking, that they know God's thoughts towards them. So think about this. They're thinking, I know God's thoughts. He's given up on us. I know God's thoughts. He's turned his back on us. I know God's thoughts. He thinks I've gone too far. In the middle of them thinking that, God speaks up and says, wait a minute. Hang on a second. It's like he's having an argument. And he says, this, don't tell me what my thoughts are towards you. Don't do that. You ever been in an argument where someone starts telling you what your thoughts are? You're like, that's not my thoughts. And if you knew my thoughts, you'd be even more mad, actually. <laughs> God was saying this, don't you tell me what my thoughts are towards you. I know my thoughts. I know what I'm thinking. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking peace over you. I'm thinking, not evil, I'm thinking hope over you when you think it's hopeless. I'm thinking future over you when you think you don't have a future. That's what God is saying. So for you today, I know that probably many of us here today have gone through failure. Maybe you've stumbled and you've sinned. Maybe you're walking through pain that you never thought you would have to walk through hurts regardless of what the enemy says to you today. Regardless of what the negative people around you are trying to get you to understand or trying to get you to see yourself in a negative way, 
I want you to hear this. If you have thoughts about what God thinks about you, I want you to hear God say this. Actually, I know my thoughts. You don't. And my thoughts for you, regardless of where you're at today, is to give you peace. My thoughts for you, regardless of how far you've gone, is to give you a future. My thoughts for you, when you think it's hopeless, is to bring you hope right where you are today. That's called good news. Aren't you grateful for good news? That is good news today. And the reality is that Jesus, through dying on the cross and raising from the dead, he made a way for all of us to have hope in the future as we put our trust in him. Jesus came to redeem us from our failures, not forget us because we fail. Please hear that. Jesus came to redeem us from our problems, not reject us because we have them. That's why Jesus came. It's the foundation of knowing God's will is understanding God's will for you is good. Number two. A truth about God's will is number two this. God's will is always in agreement with God's word. God's will is always in agreement with God's word. Psalm 119 says this. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light into my path. In other words, if you want to know God's will, you need to be, you need to be actively eating of the word of God every day. It needs to be a part of your life. I've shared this story before, but I'll just share again because it fits here. Um, I used to lead worship for Promise Keepers and would travel around with them quite a bit. And one of the, uh, one of the events, I'm, I'm in the back and we're, we're waiting. And one of the volunteers, he's a man, and he comes up to me. And, and I said, man, how you doing? I'm just striking him a conversation. And he's, oh, God's doing great things in my life. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And um, tell me about your story. And so he, he starts the story off by, you know, ever since the Lord released me to divorce my wife, things have really gotten good. I said, hang on. I said, uh, oh, was there, was there infidelity? He said, no. I said, okay. Um, was there some abuse that was going on? No. Did she want to stay married to you? Yeah. And I said, uh, can I just tell you something? God didn't tell you to divorce your wife. Well, how do you know? I said, because I read the Bible. And so he didn't want to have much more of a conversation. I just told him, listen, <laughs> you violated scripture. And I said, you should go back to her. I actually told him, you should go back. You should try to reconcile. No, God gave me peace. I said, no, that wasn't God. I'm telling you, it was not God. This is why it's vital for, ha for us to have a daily diet of God's word, that we systematically read the word. We don't play, <laughs> you ever play Bible roulette where you get a Bible out and you, you flip it. <laughs> I don't like that one. Try nothing. <laughs> you know. God, what's your will for my life? <laughs> Lord, where should, I, where should we eat for lunch? <laughs> you know, whatever. We get weird. Let's just be honest. I want to ask you to raise your hand. We've all played Bible roulette at some point. We spun the, the wheel of biblical chance. And, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. That was an old reference to a game, actually, wasn't it? That's not the way things work. We need a guiding light in our life, and it is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. We have all these influences on our lives. But we need, to, we need to know the will of God. How do we know the will of God? We need to be in the word. That's what Ephesians 5 says this. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
So because the days are evil, because there are influences on our lives, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It clearly says there are different things that are pulling on us. Different things that are, that are trying to influence our wills. But I'll tell you this, and it's a promise, that if your life is anchored in the word of God, to the word of God, you will never be pulled away from God's will for your life. And that's your promise. Yes, God still speaks today. He still speaks through the Holy Spirit. He still can speak to our minds. He can sp still speak to our hearts. But the primary way he speaks is through the word of God. And God will never tell you to do something that violates his word. Never. So please understand that. And know that this God has placed people in your life to help you discern what God is saying. He's put pastors in your life. He's put small groups in your life. And listen, it's okay to run things by people because God says he would, he would confirm his word by two or three other witnesses. And so that's why we need a family with one another. Another way of determining God's will is this. Number three, is, this is actually a statement and a truth. God usually doesn't tell you what you don't know. Until you obey what you do know. Everybody wants to know what you don't know. Everybody wants to know step three. And God's like, I want you to take step one. No, God, i got to wait for step three. He's like, but I'm telling you to take step one. And we wrestle with God in this, in, in, with our wills because we want, we want to know what we don't know. And God's just wanting us to do what we do know. He's just wanting us to obey. What's very interesting is some people can... can uh, can kind of approach God's will like they're buying like a new car. Like, so uh, what are the options on it? Well, does it have those, I want a seat cooler. I know seat warmer, but I want a seat cooler. Because my, my, my bum needs to be chilled, you know, when it's really hot outside. Oh, God, you know, you know Lord, I, I really was hoping for leather. And we go around, we kick the tires, and it's God's will. And he wants us to, to be in it. He wants us to, to drive in it. He wants to walk in it. Well, is there a way I can get a V8 instead of a V6? I mean, you know, God, you know, kind of, you know what I like. And, and all of a sudden, we approach God's will like it's, like it's, we're ordering from a restaurant menu or something. You know, I'll take one of those and, ooh, I'll take some of this prosperity. And, ooh, can I, ooh, yeah, I like this one here. Ooh, can I get this famous piece right here? Let's check this out. I want to be famous and I want to do this. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thanks, God. Go, go on. Go get it for me. It's quiet because you know it's real. Somehow, we come to a place that we think that's how it works, and, it, and that's not. And if we're not careful, we can put ourselves in the seat of God, and we're trying to make him our servant. We're, gonna, we're, we're, we're letting him know how to design his will for us. It doesn't, that's not the way it works. Here's, here's the reality. He doesn't work for us. We work for him. We say, God, what do you want? And he said, this is what I want. And we say, you got it, God. You know what that's called? It's called faith. It's called a journey of faith. That we follow him and we serve him. We say yes to him even if we don't understand. We take step one even if we don't know step two. Even if we, th even if we, th if we don't think we, we like his plan, it doesn't matter. We walk it out because the root of it is this. I know God is good and I know that his will is the best place for me to be in my life. Cheryl and I have taken steps before, and we didn't know step two or three. 
We face ridicule in our lives because people thought we were crazy or people thought we were stupid or people thought we were irresponsible. But the reality is God spoke to us very clear. It was confirmed by people in our lives. And we stepped out and we got on step one. And sometimes you get on step one and you're thinking, uh, step two is coming in a second and you can't find it. So you're like, you got to figure it out. And, and like, oh gosh. And then all of a sudden when you're about to fall, all of a sudden, boom, there it is. And it's a journey that God teaches us about ourselves, about him. It's called the journey of faith. But most of us, really, we have this sense, we're, we're almost afraid of God's will. Like, well, what if God is going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do? I'm afraid. So I just would rather not ask him because I don't want to, say, I don't want to be disobedient. I'm just not going to ask him what his will is for my life. What if he makes me a missionary? Oh, God, I don't, I've never traveled a day in my life. I don't like to eat food and get sick in my stomach. God, I don't want to be a missionary. Oh, God. Listen, are you thinking this? I don't want to ask what my God's will is. I don't, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't like those guys. They're weird. And I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to serve in children's ministry. I don't like kids. They smell. I mean, God, what do you... What if I have to move? What if I have to move? What if, my, what if my kids can't play club sports and I get my life back? Actually, that one might be a good thing. What, sorry, that was a personal confession before you. <laughs> and what's behind all of that? You know what it is? It's the fear that God's will actually isn't good for you. It's actually a place of incredible arrogance that we think we know what's best for us. It might be fear of change. It might be fear of having to die to your flesh. It might be the fear of the opinion of others. It might be a fear of commitment. Oh, here's a big one. It might be the fear of you having to die to your dreams. Have you already told everybody what your dreams are? I'm very leery when someone says, hey, I can help you fulfill your dreams. Listen, I don't need any help fulfilling my dreams. I need help fulfilling God's dream for my life. That's what I need. We need God's dream to be fulfilled for us because he has a plan. The root problem behind all of this is we don't understand his love for us. We don't understand his goodness towards us. And we, we fear because if you understood God's love, you would no longer be in fear of his will. That's why 1 John 4 says this. It says, there is no fear in love but perfect love, which is God's love towards you. It drives out fear. So what do we need? You need to understand God's love for you. Most of the time we're afraid of God's will because we've forgotten how much he loves us. And for you parents, it's very important. That you understand God has a will for your children. Your number one goal is to make sure God's will is done for your children, not your will is done for your children. That's our prayer for this church and all the leaders of this church. Listen, we have all kinds of dreams and desires, but listen, what matters is, is the, the chief shepherd of this church, Jesus Christ, his will and his dream is done through Faith Bible Chapel, through your lives, through all of us. That's what we desire. Most, most all of our problems, think about this, emotional problems, all the issues of anxiety and, and restlessness come from the reality that we don't fully understand God's love for us and that we doubt God's love and we don't trust him. God, you need to know this, God's will for your life is an expression of his love. 
It's, it has everything to do with how much he loves you. And he invites you today to begin to trust him again. And you might feel stuck. You might feel like you can't hear God or you don't know what he has for you and, and you don't know what your part is. Well, here's the deal. Take the first step. Start doing what you do know that God wants you to do. Start obeying the first step. The truth is all of us know a lot of things that we can do, but we don't do them because we're, we, are, we are obsessed with step four and we aren't taking step one. Some questions maybe for us today to help reveal God's will for your life. And really this is about prospering where you're planted or growing where God has you. That's really what this is about. Everyone wants to grow where they're not. Like the grass is always greener somewhere else. Everyone, and, and listen, it, it's, it, it has plagued the, the local church. But everyone wants to, wants, to, wants to prosper there and prosper there and prosper there and prosper there. But they, they are refusing to prosper where they are. So this is some of these questions. What do you already know that you need to do but you haven't done yet? Whatever that is. You just, this before, before you and God. And the question is, what is your next step? What do you need to do that you've been putting off? Is it you need to start reading your Bible and just getting that, reading that and allowing that to cleanse your mind? Not out of, not legalistically, not shame or condemnation, just the reality that it's there for you to begin to understand God's will for your life. Are you in a small group that you can begin to, to prosper where you were planted here at faith? Are you, are you building relationships with other people? Or you just, you just come and go and come and go and you seek God's will. But he's wanting you to prosper where he has planted you. Are you serving somewhere? Are you a part of an impact team that you're able to serve and give and give out of what God's done in your own life? And when you do that, that what that does, it tills the soil of where you are so you can continue to bear much fruit and more fruit. All I'm saying is just prosper where you are, where God has brought you. Are you giving regularly? Are you tithing? So many times we want God to, to do step three in our finances and, and we just, we, yeah, but I just don't really want to. Well, I, there are some very practical things. God wants you to be blessed and prosper where you are. Are there things that you know you should be doing, but you're not? Are you praying? Are you growing in your relationship with God? This isn't to make anyone feel guilty. It's just, it's just a, a nice little kind of like pulse check. Wait a minute. You know what? I just need to start prospering where I am first before I stop worrying about where I'm going to be in three or four steps from now. God, help me to prosper where I am. God doesn't want us to fear. He just wants to meet us right where we are. And when you fall into fear and when you think, God, maybe, maybe you have forgotten me again, I want, to, I want to remind you that God says this, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Jason, I don't think you understand. Yeah, God used to have a call in my life. God used to have a plan. Maybe when I was younger, but I made some terrible mistakes or I've, I made some decisions that, that have got me off course. I've blown it. I, I've, I've went off-roading with my life. I am lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get back to God's will. I, I don't even know if God can bring me back. This is what you need to know. And it's a beautiful, powerful promise to you today. Is point number four is this. God's will for your life is always accessible. It's always accessible. 
I, I want to read to you a scripture today that was, has been really life-giving to me. And the scripture was spoken over um, regarding the, the, um, the Israelites. But the scripture says this, that all the promises of God and yes, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And we are in Christ. And this is our promise as well. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says this, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. This is a very strong word, irrevocable. In other words, it doesn't change. In other words, God birthed you, made you. To be who you are. He put gifts in your life. He put things in you. And you can use them for your own good or you can use them in the will of God. But you do have the option to do both. His gifts and his call are irrevocable. Think about this for a moment. Every time you go through a difficult time, every time we fail, we sin, the enemy says, see, God can't use you now. See, you, there's no, I know that's who you are, but that's not what God wants anymore. You've done it too many times. God's done with you. God can't forgive you. You've gone too far off the path of God's will. I want you to listen to what God says to this group of people that we are looking at here in the book of Jeremiah. That rejected God. That worshipped other gods. That was being hauled off into captivity. This is what he said. I want you to listen to this. Verse 14. I will be found by you. Now remember, they're being hauled off into captivity. They're being hauled off into slavery, and it lasted for 70 years for their, for their people group, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. In other words, where you exit it, I will bring you back to the exit. Somehow around, I will make a plan to get you right back here so you can keep walking out God's, my will for your life. Think about this. This is amazing. This is incredible. They were led away. They thought God had finished with them. They thought he, he will no longer bring them back. They're done. They're over. But what it was is that Israel had a call on their life for a purpose. As they were leaving, think about this. As they were leaving, God already had a plan to bring them back. As they were walking out, as they were in captivity, God already had a plan. He already had a thought, I'm going to get you back here again because my gifts and my call are irrevocable. God was saying, I haven't rejected you because of your failures. I haven't rejected because of your sins, because of your wrong decisions, because you, you rejected me. I haven't rejected you. I'm going to bring you back here so you can fulfill your will, so you can fulfill your call, because I have a plan for you. Yeah, it, it's going to be a different way, but I'm going to make sure you get back here, and I'm going to get you back on course. That's the will of God. The will of God is always accessible for those who will turn their hearts to him. Listen, a lot of people in the Bible make mistakes, and we read about them. And God didn't remove from them their call or their gifting. He just kind of re reworked their route to get them back to where they needed to be. And every time you make a mistake, God has a way to get you back. Every time. That almost doesn't seem real, does it? But it is. You know, the statement that says... Uh, it's too good to be true, but sometimes it's still true. It sounds too good to be true, but sometimes it's still true, and this is still true. God has a way to get you back. And you will realize that the life 
of mistakes that you think, well, Jason, be careful. You're telling people they can go make mistakes and God will always bring them back. No, 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 I'm not. Your life will be hell if you want to keep making mistakes and going your own way. You're going to suffer. You're going to be led away into captivity. But one day you're going to realize your life is not what you want. You're going to realize God's will is what I want. I don't want my own will. And the moment that you do that and come back to God, he will bring you back to the place where you exited God's plan for your life. God will not throw you away. God will not reject you. You will find God's will when you choose God's way. And that's very important for you to understand. It's always accessible to you. He loves you and he's inviting you to come back to him. So real quick, what are some areas in your life that you've taken detours from God's will? That you realize, you know what, these are things we need to work on now. Is it your marriage? Maybe there's things in your marriage that, that you realize, man, we got to quit ignoring these things. We need, to, we need to address, we need to prosper where we are. Maybe it's in the relationships. If you take an assessment of your relationships, do you find that people, you build bitterness and unforgiveness up really quick? And people that used to be close to you, you're no longer close to. And, and mostly what you do is make it everyone else's fault and you never really look deep in your own life. God said, let me heal you. This is what I want you to deal with now. This is your next step. Is it your finances that you thought that they're maybe out of control and, and you're, you're wanting God to bless you in step four? And he's like, but, I, but I, I need you to come back to me right now in step one and ask me into your finances. You need to lay your bills on the table and just ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make a way and to bring you back to God's will for your finances. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe, you, yes, but it's okay, and God doesn't mind, and, you know, I just have needs. And, and so you've been, you've been compromising your purity. And you're, and you're waiting for God to, you, maybe you want to be in ministry. Maybe you want to do this. And, and God's saying, listen, I, I want to prosper, prosper you where you are. And maybe we need to just get these things right before God. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe whatever it is, I don't know what it is today. But I guarantee you there are areas in each one of our lives that we have, we're looking for God to tell us step three. And he's been tapping on our hearts. Actually, I, I, I want to bring this back under submission of me. I'm going to bring my, your marriage back under submission. I want to bring your finance. I want to bring your sexuality. I, I, want, to, I want to bring your, your, your consumption of alcohol or whatever it may be. I'm going to bring that back underneath submission to me. And I want to prosper you right here, right where you are. All it takes is one prayer. All it takes is the act of your will. Lord, cleanse me. I want to get back on track. And it's time that you begin to talk to God about these things because his plans for you are good. And so how do we get back on track? Very easy. Jeremiah 29, 13, in the middle of this context, he says this, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is what he's saying. Listen, you, you want to come back? Seek me with all of your heart. Don't leave anything of your life separate from my touch, from my influence. Don't leave it. Let me come in. Let me transform you. And God's will for your life, what you're, what you're believing for, what you're wanting, what you're desiring, what you're seeking God for, it's on the other side of you obeying what you know you need to do today, right now, in your life. 
God's asking you to choose to prosper where you're planted. And once you start doing that, he will help you. Step two and three and four. God's will for your life is greater than anything you could ever imagine. And he's inviting you to begin to walk in it today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.